Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. This is the second in a series of episodes about the Exodus story, so if you missed episode 32, you should probably go back and catch that first. This is, you know, the story of the Exodus. A short note on historicity for people who wonder about that kind of stuff, while a relatively tiny but very loud part of the population of people who read the Bible think that the Bible is all historical fact, most don't. Uh, I just say that because I grew up in the fringe Christian group that thought the whole Bible was history, but the vast majority of scholarship, uh, Christian, Jewish, and others don't view it that way. So anyways, it's a myth. And even most religious people view it as a myth, but it's a myth that's really important to a lot of people, as I talked about in the last episode. So uh, anyway, I'm happy to be sharing it with all y'all today. Uh, Let's see when we left off last time. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Moses was a man who was born an Israelite, but was actually raised in Pharaoh's household, who later had to flee Egypt. And then the Lord God told Moses to go down to Egypt and free the people from like a burning bush, like a bush that was on fire, but not actually burning up. And then at the end of the episode, Moses and his older brother Aaron were telling Pharaoh that the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go. Unfortunately, Pharaoh doesn't know that God. He has his own gods. He has a lot of gods. And he doesn't care about what the Lord God says, and he doesn't care about the Hebrew people either, and he refuses to let them go. And Pharaoh is pretty well set on keeping his power and keeping people enslaved. So they're not going to be able to just walk up to him and say, hey, Pharaoh, you're kind of being a bully. Don't you think it would be nice of you if you let the people go? Now, Pharaoh knows he's hurting people. He just doesn't care. He likes his power. Sometimes people in power just don't care, and they have to be forced to do the right thing. So what the Lord God is going to do here is make Pharaoh too scared to not let the people go, mostly by proving that the Lord God was more powerful than the gods of Egypt. It's not going to be pretty. So they started small, right? Remember Aaron threw the magic staff from God, the, uh, the staff of God. He threw it down in front of Pharaoh and the staff turned into a snake. But then Pharaoh's like, I don't know how to feel about this. So he turns to his priests and magicians, and they turned their staffs into snakes. But then Aaron's staff swallowed the other snakes, or Aaron's snake, his snake staff. It swallowed them anyway, and it ate them up. And that was intended to be a sign right there that Pharaoh's priests and magicians and gods might think they could match the power of the God of the Hebrews, but they couldn't really do it. So the Lord God told Moses, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go as anticipated, and gave him instructions for the next sign. In other stories, signs are often also called miracles. Someone is miraculously healed, or even brought back from the dead, or a small amount of food lasts a long time. There's really good things like that. Uh, These signs are not that kind of sign. The next signs that happen also get called plagues. So Moses confronted Pharaoh as he was out on the river in the morning. You know, just going around the river on his boat, looking at his kingdom, feeling important. And he's like, "Uh, the Lord God sent me to tell you to let my people go, Moses said, but but you haven't listened. So the Lord God will do this to let you know that he is the Lord. And then this is actually not something that already happened. It's something that's about to happen because Moses puts his staff, you know the one, in the river Nile and the water turned to blood. The fish died. The people had no water to drink and the smell was horrible horrible. It was the first plague, the plague of blood. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River as a god, and it brought life to the region. Water for crops, water so they could get fish to eat, water to drink, and now the water was blood. 
And then Aaron raised his, Aaron, Moses' brother, he raised his arm over the waters of Egypt and all of it turned to blood. Waters in, water in wells, water in ponds, water in troughs for people's animals. But Pharaoh asked his magicians if they could also do the sign. And I guess they found some water that Aaron hadn't turned to blood yet. And they turned it to blood. So then Pharaoh was like, ah, we can do it too. And he didn't listen to Moses this time either. But the Egyptians were miserable with the stinky river and no fresh water to drink or bathe in. And Pharaoh just ignored all of it and had the people dig new wells to get clean water. And so seven days passed with the water all, you know, gross. And uh, it was one week and the Lord God once again sent Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses told him, the Lord God says to let my people go. And if you don't, I will send frogs, more frogs than you can imagine in your beds, on your table, in your foods. The frogs will come up on you and all your people and officials. And Pharaoh did not let the people go. So Moses told Aaron to stretch out his hand. And then the second plague began. Frogs came boiling up out of rivers, canals, ponds, creeks. I think it was turned back to water by now. And there were frogs everywhere, flooding into everyone's personal space. The Egyptians had a beloved goddess with the head of a frog that they worshipped, but now too many frogs. The Egyptians couldn't step without stepping on a frog. They couldn't eat a loaf of bread without frogs getting in the way. Frogs were in their clothes, on their dinner tables, jumping on their heads, jumping in their laps. And then Pharaoh told his court magicians to try to do the same thing. And they did manage to summon more frogs. That was a relief, right? Because they figured this meant the new Lord God wasn't actually more powerful than them. Except uh, they couldn't actually get rid of the frogs. So now there was just even more frogs. So Pharaoh summoned Moses and he said, please pray to your God to remove the frogs and then I'll let your people go. So Moses prayed and the plague was over. All the frogs, except the ones in the water where they belong, just suddenly dropped dead. And people just swept and raked these masses of frogs into giant stinky frog piles. I prefaced the last episode by saying it gets kind of gross and violent. And like that carries through this story. It gets kind of gross and yucky and violent. So um, if you if you can't handle stinky frogs, you know, maybe you just want to read a Cliff Notes version of the Exodus on Wikipedia or something. But anyway... There were the frogs. They were dead. So, sorry for that sidetrack. But anyway, when Pharaoh saw that they had relief from the plague of frogs, he changed his mind and again refused to let the people go. So, it was time for another plague, the third plague. This time, Aaron stretched out his staff and struck the dust on the ground. And all over Egypt, the dust turned into tiny bugs, irritating everyone all the time. Oh, horrible. They were like gnats or something from dust to another plague. The Egyptians didn't just have a god for the Nile and a god who looked like a frog. They had a god for dust too. They had a god that the Lord God humiliated with every single plague he would send. And so their god of dust was humiliated when Moses and Aaron turned that dust into tiny annoying insects. And Pharaoh asked his magicians to prove they could do the same. But they could not, and they could not make the little gnats go away either, and they were really frightened. This is the work of a powerful god, the magicians told Pharaoh. But he didn't listen to them, and he didn't listen to his own people's misery even either. So more plagues will be necessary. Let my people go, Moses said, or there's another plague coming. No, Pharaoh said again, 
though there was a fourth plague, the plague of flies. Flies were everywhere, pestering all the Egyptians and their animals, but this time not in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews lived separate, so that God could make it very clear who he was angry with and who he was protecting. And then Pharaoh's magicians just backed off. And Pharaoh tried to make a bargain with Moses. And he says, everyone can have a holiday to worship your God here. The original demand was for them to have a festival in the desert, right? And so Pharaoh is offering at least a day off. Now something, right? Good enough? No. <laughs> the end game, of course, was for the people to be free. One holiday trapped in the city, policed by Pharaoh's God, was not the goal. Moses said, no, we have to leave the city to offer sacrifices because we don't worship our God the way Egyptians worship their gods and everyone would hate our way. And Pharaoh was like, yeah, actually, that seems legit. So he agreed that if Moses asked the Lord God to take away the plague of flies and if the Hebrews promised not to go very far, he would let them leave the city. So Moses did and God did, but Pharaoh didn't. Again, he changed his mind and didn't let the, let, let the people leave the city at all. No days off to worship their God either. Then there was another request, another warning, and Pharaoh said no again. And God sent the fifth plague, and all the livestock belonging to the Egyptians died. But all the livestock belonging to the Hebrews were fine. All the cattle and sheep and goats and other animals of the Israelites lived. Pharaoh actually sent people to investigate and confirm that the Israelites hadn't lost a single animal. Uh, so clearly this was a God mad at him and not mad at the Israelites, but he still wouldn't let the people go. So Moses took a handful of soot from, from a fireplace and he stood in front of Pharaoh and he tossed the soot into the air and then everyone broke out in these big nasty sores called boils all over their bodies. And that was the sixth plague. And uh, I've read that this made them unclean because they had these, these diseases on their bodies and Pharaoh's magicians couldn't even pray to their gods to save them anymore because their bodies weren't healthy enough for their rules about who was allowed to stand in front of the gods. They actually couldn't even stand in front of Pharaoh. And that's the last we hear of the priests and magicians in this story. Every single Egyptian was covered in painful sores all over their bodies and they were very unhappy, but Pharaoh still wouldn't let the people go. So for the seventh plague, God sent Moses to warn Pharaoh and Pharaoh's people of the worst hailstorm to ever fall in the land of Egypt. Lots of hail, big hail, it was going to be awful. Like, you ever seen hail and maybe it's dented your family's car or something? Yeah, I don't want to mess with that stuff. So Moses told them it was going to come and he said that they should take any crops or animals or people or anything they'd want to protect or anyone and make sure everything was sheltered because a horrible hailstorm would come tomorrow. And some people listened to Moses. Some of the Egyptians did, and they were able to preserve some of their belongings and hurry up and harvest some food so they'd have food to eat in the future. But some did not fear the Lord and they just totally ignored it. And they left their crops in the field. Everything left out was destroyed by this massive hailstorm. The worst hailstorm to ever come. And there was never a hailstorm as bad as that after. And it just crushed everything. Everything that was all the all the crops that were about to ripen or be ready to harvest were completely destroyed. And Pharaoh was like devastated because now what are they going to eat? What are they going to sell to other countries? What are they going to do? And he says, um, 
Pharaoh says, I know I'm wrong and the Lord God is right. I will let your people go if you pray for the hail to end. So Moses agreed to pray to the Lord, but he told Pharaoh that he knew Pharaoh didn't really fear God. They'd end the plague, but Moses knew this wasn't going to be the end of the issue this time either. And of course, once the plague of hail ended, Pharaoh and his officials all again refused to let the people of Israel go. I kind of, when I was a kid, I kind of thought this level of evil was just too far-fetched. Like, I couldn't believe it. How could Pharaoh keep turning his back on what he agreed to do, even when he said he knew what was the right thing to do, and even after all these horrible things happened to his entire country because of his decisions? And in fact, um, I will point out, in some parts of the text, the text seems to be claiming that God made Pharaoh say no. And that's really kind of problematic for God, but that's the only way I could make sense of how Pharaoh acted, like God was literally forcing him to act that way. So sometimes the text says Pharaoh hardened his heart. That is to say, he made his heart so hard he didn't care about the Israelites or his own people. But sometimes it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I was taught that that said Pharaoh literally couldn't decide not to be that stubborn and selfish and foolish, but that's like not the only interpretation. So I didn't repeat it each time it said God did it or Pharaoh did it because it feels confusing and kind of weighs down the narrative. But um, I guess it's still worth pointing out that God hardened Pharaoh's heart is in the text some of the time as an explanation, but it's still not really used to pardon Pharaoh or show that he's innocent. Um, so for some people, it, when they read this, it gets a bit messy, like, wow, is it fair for God to punish Pharaoh if God made Pharaoh make those decisions? Except the way I read it, it also says that the Pharaoh hardened his own heart and he like kept slaves in the first place. So like, yeah, he's guilty. I mean, maybe God's guilty of some t stuff too, depending on how you read this. You can definitely question his strategy in the entire story if you wanted to take it literally, but for most people, you know, they don't take it literally. So anyway, that's why I'm telling the story the way I am. So I think you could question Pharaoh's choices to keep refusing to let the people go in the face of all these plagues. But, but again, like some people are that stubborn and selfish. Like maybe the character's choices within the story don't even need extra explaining. Um, maybe they'd really act this foolishly if they thought it could help them keep power. Uh, so Pharaoh and Pharaoh's officials, the people he had helped advise him, they did not let the people go. So then God sent Moses to warn Pharaoh about the next plague they send if Pharaoh still refused to let the people go. And this time, even Pharaoh's own court, his own officials said, Egypt is ruined. You have to let those people go free. We can't take any more of this. So Pharaoh said, all right, you can go, but who all's going? And Moses is like, everyone, all the people, the men, women, and children, and their livestock? And Pharaoh's like, what? I thought it would be only the men. Never mind, nobody can go. And then Pharaoh's servants threatened to hurt Moses and Aaron and chase them away. So God went ahead and sent the eighth plague, a plague of locusts. Locusts are a kind of insects and they eat growing stuff. So every inch of land or tree or plant in Egypt was covered in these locusts. They, they eat the green things and they're big and they're annoying and they're really bad for crops. And this was the worst swarm of locusts to ever happen anywhere in the world. And there would never be a worse one after. That's what the story says. And this giant swarm was hungry. The locusts ate and ate and ate everything green, the last tiny bits of growing plants left after the hail. Every bit of it was eaten by locusts. 
Like, every time you think everything is destroyed, it turns out there was a tiny bit left that they could still destroy after that. And then Pharaoh is like, calls for Moses and said, I definitely did the wrong thing. Please forgive me and ask the Lord to take away the plague. So Moses prayed and the Lord sent a wind and this massive wind just blew all the locusts out of Egypt at once. But then Pharaoh still didn't let the people go. So then Moses stretched out his hand and darkness covered the land. It was so dark that a candle couldn't bring light, a lamp, a fire. Even if you lit one, you wouldn't see any light. It was so dark that the darkness was heavy and it was hard to move around. But in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, there was light. And that was the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. And after three days of stumbling in the dark, Pharaoh called for Moses. And he said all the people could leave for a few days to worship the Lord in the desert, but they had to leave their belongings behind. And of course, God's big plan was for everyone to leave with their belongings, with plenty of resources to start new lives in a new land. So Moses insisted they take their animals too, telling Pharaoh maybe they would need to give some to God as a sacrifice. And they didn't know which animals God was going to want until they got out to the desert. And then Pharaoh's like, never appear before me again. Of course you can't do that. So Moses left. That was the ninth plague. If there was one more plague, and there would be one more, that'd be ten. Ten is a big number. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a nice even number. And that was going to be the last plague. It would be horrible. One devastating act of God between the Israelites and freedom. So Pharaoh hated Moses and the Israelites after all this and before all this. But the Egyptians actually thought well of the Israelites. And Pharaoh's court, his nobles and advisors, thought well of Moses. They all thought the whole series of plagues was Pharaoh's fault for enslaving people and for not listening to a super powerful god. No matter how much that god hurt the Egyptians' people because of Pharaoh's stubborn selfishness. So the, the Egyptians gave the Israelites their best gold and silver jewelry and their finest cloth so that the people would not leave empty-handed. And maybe they hoped God would have mercy on them specifically? And Moses went before Pharaoh with one last warning. He said, this is what the Lord says. At midnight, I will go through Egypt and kill every firstborn son of the Egyptians, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh in the palace to the firstborn son of the poorest Egyptian slave. And there will be a horrible cry throughout all the land, worse than there ever has been or ever will be after. But among the Israelites, not even a dog will bark. Moses addressed Pharaoh both of them steaming with anger. After that, Moses said, you and your advisors will bow down to me and ask me to lead the people out of Egypt, and then I will leave. And Moses left angrily and went to give the Israelites the instructions. Everyone was to take a lamb and kill it and roast the meat over the fire for their dinner. They could share with their neighbors if it would be too much food, but they were to save the blood of the animal in a bowl. The instructions about that may have been strange, but they all obeyed it. They each took a branch of herbs, and they used the branch like a paintbrush and dipped it in the blood and painted the blood on their doorframe, on the sides and across the top. This is what the Lord told them to do, so that when the Lord went to their house that night at midnight, he would see that this house was one of his people, and he would pass over them, and the plague of destruction wouldn't come in. There were instructions for how to eat the lamb, too, and for the bread, 
The bread must be cooked without any yeast because there'd be no time for it to rise. A bread without yeast or leavening is called unleavened bread. It would be a flat bread, kind of like a cracker or maybe a little like a tortilla if it's still soft. Nothing with yeast would be allowed then or for that week every year in the future because they would remember this every year for a week with a festival called Passover. In the Bible, sometimes it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But it's also called Passover because the plague would pass over them. And the rules for the lamb was that it must be roasted over a fire and they should eat with their shoes on and with their staff in hand and their clothes ready for a journey. Everything in a hurry that night because this would be it, the last night in Egypt. The people did this. They hurried their dinners. They painted their doors with the blood of the lambs and they waited in their house. It got very dark and late and it was very still. And then the destroyer came and passed over every one of the Israelite houses. But suddenly they could hear a cry from Egypt, many people crying, grieving loudly, all at once as the destroyer struck down each firstborn son of Egypt. Not a single house among the Egyptians was safe. It was still dark when Pharaoh summoned Aaron and Moses. Go take your people, take your children and your livestock and leave, but ask your God to bless us. And the Egyptians gave gifts to the Israelites and asked them to please leave as soon as possible so God would leave them alone. So they got up in the middle of the night with their children and animals and any possessions they could bring and their bread still without any yeast mix in and they left Egypt. They brought Joseph's bones with them as Joseph had requested when he died a few hundred years before because they were going to the promised land and Joseph wanted to be buried there. He knew this would happen someday. And Moses led the people out of Egypt near another city where they stopped to rest and cook their unleavened breads over fires for dinner, and God told them to commemorate this every year for a week. So the book of Exodus is kind of the genesis of the Passover holiday. Y'all probably know that's a major Jewish holiday celebrated every spring to this day. And, and another little side note, here's a little connection. It was during the Passover celebration many centuries later that the story of Jesus being killed by the Romans was supposed to have taken place. It's intended to be symbolically significant. So they left Egypt and they ate a meal, and that's the story of the Exodus. The Lord led the people with a giant pillar of cloud by day and a massive pillar of fire by night, and everyone can see and follow it, and that was the end, sort of. There's actually more, a lot more, uh, because do you think Pharaoh is going to make up his mind to let everyone leave and then, you know, not change it for once? No. And do you think God knows how in the heck to take care of a large group of traumatized humans? Anyway... So depending on how you understand the story, either the Lord God says, ha, I'm going to lead the people around, make it look like they're a bit lost, just to tempt Pharaoh to come after the people and try to make them go back so I can defeat him gloriously and everyone will be very impressed. This is a great plan and in no way manipulative or unnecessarily traumatizing to this new little baby country full of already very frightened people. Or the other way to understand it is that Pharaoh, who already changed his mind like a bunch of times, changes his mind one last time and chases after people to force them to come back, or maybe some combination of the two. Either way, there's thousands of men, women, and children journeying in the desert, following a giant magic cloud sent by God, and also following two old men also sent by God, whose only supernatural actions they've seen so far seem to be making bad things happen and then undoing them. So there are the people at the edge of the Red Sea, a large body of water and they look back and there's a cloud of dust and it is Pharaoh's army coming fast, kicking up sand. The people were terrified. There's a sea in front of them, an army behind them. What on earth would they do? 
How could they outrun an army of horses and chariots and trained drivers while they were mostly walking with their livestock and their children and all the possessions they could bring? And uh, they cried out to Moses, what have you done? You should have left us to serve the Egyptians. It would be better to be stuck there serving them than to die here in the desert. And then Moses told them he was sure it's going to be fine. God was going to do something, definitely. So then he's like, God, you know, what are we going to do? And God's like, what are you waiting for? Just tell the people to go forward. They can walk across the sea. But like, it's the sea. So God tells Moses to raise his staff. And the seas will part, going to the left and right, and huge walls of sea with a dry path in the middle for everyone to just walk across. And Moses is like, oh, of course, just walk across the sea on dry land. The solution was so obvious. Uh, so that's what they did. Um, so Moses raised his staff over the sea, and all night the water formed walls, and a wind dried the land, and everyone headed into the sea, walking across dry land, away from Pharaoh and his army. And the pillar of cloud and fire that was leading the Israelites had moved from the front of them to behind them. And all night long it burned and it gave light to the Israelites, but it didn't give any light on the other side to Pharaoh and his army. And the army couldn't get through the pillar of fire to hurt the Israelites. And then after the Israelites were crossing, the cloud lifted and Pharaoh decided that he would follow the Israelites through the sea. But his army's horses were frightened and confused and their chariots didn't move very quickly and they couldn't catch up to the people. And some of them started to realize this was a bad idea, that the Lord God of the Hebrews was doing a thing and most things the Lord God had done turned out badly for the Egyptians. So some of Pharaoh's army just left Pharaoh and turned around to get out of the sea, but it was too late. When all the Israelites were safe on the other side, Moses raised his hands over the water again, and the walls of water crashed down. The water flooded back where it belonged, on top of Pharaoh and his horses and his chariots and the entire army. No one survived. Well, the Egyptians. But the Israelites, all safe on the other side, saw this happen. And they trusted God and Moses to take care of them and lead them. And then, like, they sang this, this big song, and they had this big celebration. I kind of, I've always wished I knew what the music sounded like. But um, some of the words in English go like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. And then Moore talks about just what happened, because this was a song, you know, they get passed on for a long time. So, you know, if you didn't have time to read the whole story, you could just read the song. And it went some, some of it went like this. The enemy bragged, I will chase them. I will catch them. I will destroy them. But you made the water cover them, and they sank like lead. What God is like you, Lord. And that's Exodus 15, if you're interested in studying like ancient poetry and song lyrics, because there's some really cool patterns in it, even in the English translations that doesn't really come out in my paraphrase. But anyways, it was a big epic song celebrating the Lord God and his victory over Pharaoh. And then maybe you remember, we haven't mentioned her in a while, there was a little girl last episode, baby Moses's big sister, who watched over him when he was in a basket in the river. Her name was Miriam. Well, Miriam was grown up now and a leader and a prophet. Not only Aaron and Moses got to do the talking for God, I guess it ran in the family. So Miriam led all the women in dancing and playing their tambourines. And she sang what Moses sang, I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted, both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. That is not the end of the book of Exodus. There is so much more, but that's the end of the story of escaping from Egypt. I'm planning to do one more episode. I won't tell every little thing that happens in the Exodus in the next, you know, 
three books after that. But there's some really interesting stuff as the people and God and Moses and all of them are sort of figuring out how this whole God-people relationship thing is going to go. It gets a little weird. And I am planning to have the, the next one up in three weeks, and then we're going to move on. There are so many stories that I would love to tell. Uh, so anyway, that's, um, that's what's coming next is uh, one more episode where the people kind of wander around in the desert. Thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.